All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are going to be talking about all the moves that the Falcons made over the weekend, including renegotiating some veteran contracts, as well as signing and re-signing a couple of free agents. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at FalFans and, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today we're going to sort of catch you guys up on sort of this weekend's roster moves. We're going to talk about the Falcons sort of reworking contracts for certain players and potentially how much they saved and whether that opened the door for the Falcons to bring in guys like Todd Gurley and Dante Fowler, which is why we've been sort of delayed on why we haven't seen the details of those guys' contracts because the Falcons were kind of trying to figure out how to create the space in order to make those moves happen. Uh, going back to the whole point of salary cap being a speed bump, we'll get into that concept a little bit today. Uh, we'll also sort of talk about them um, and, and for those of you that don't know, the players that they reworked were Matt Ryan, Jake Matthews, and Alan Bailey. And we'll talk about them bringing in offensive lineman Justin McCray. We'll talk about them bringing in Laquan Treadwell. We'll talk about them re-signing Bleedy Ray Wilson. We'll talk about them uh, briefly re-signing uh, Sherrod Neesman. All that on in store for today. So to catch you up on all the various roster moves that the Falcons have made over the last uh, you know 96 or so hours uh, now that you guys are listening to this. And uh, let's jump into that lead story, sort of focusing on the reworked contracts and, and summarizing the weekend's moves. So one of the big questions I had entering this offseason was exactly just how unfavorable the Falcons cap situation was going into 2020. Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov insisted that the Falcons weren't in cap hell anytime he got the chance to speak to the press and the media. But it seemed like they couldn't really make any major moves in free agency given their limited cap space. But that changed when the team aggressively pursued pass rusher Dante Fowler and running back Todd Gurley at the outset of free agency. But how were they able to come up with the cap space to sign those guys? We got our answer this past weekend when it was revealed that on the NFL's official transaction wire that the Falcons had reworked the contracts of quarterback Matt Ryan, offensive tackle Jake Matthews, and defensive lineman Allen Bailey on Saturday. Still, there has been no official word on exactly how much cap space has been created by reworking those moves, but that won't stop us from speculating today. If the Falcons did, quote-unquote, simple max restructures on those contracts, taking, in the case of Ryan and, and Matthews, each player's 2020 base salary, lowering it down to the veteran minimum of just over a million dollars and converting the difference into signing bonus that could be spread out over the remaining of the contract. The team could have saved a max of $5.2 million with Matt Ryan and $7.1 million with Jake Matthews, giving them slightly more than $12.3 million in cap savings. Ryan and Matthews are both signed through the 2023 season. However, Alan Bailey, on the other hand, is only entering the final year of his contract in 2020. The two main ways that the Falcons could have saved cap space instead of doing that simple restructure when it comes to Bailey's contract is either by asking him to take a pay cut or giving him a contract extension. Bailey was set to have a cap hit 
approaching $6 million in 2020, which included a 750,000 roster bonus that was due to be paid this past Sunday on March 22nd. We can only speculate exactly how much the team saved by reworking Bailey's deal, but Sports Illustrated Albert Breer reported that the Falcons opened up Monday morning with roughly $14.3 million in cap space, suggesting that our speculative figure of around $12 million seems to be fairly spot on, given that projections from websites like overthecap.com had the Falcons at roughly $2 million in cap space at the outset of last week when free agency began before the signings of Fowler and Gurley. Those savings might allow the team to also continue to be flexible with some additional moves in the coming days and weeks. They showed that they were able to make some moves over the weekend when they agreed to terms with on Sunday with several veteran players signing former Minnesota Vikings first round pick wide receiver Laquan Treadwell and journeyman offensive lineman Justin Cray, who was most recently with the Cleveland Browns in 2019 after spending some time with the Green Bay Packers in the two previous years. Treadwell was a disappointment for several seasons in Minnesota with minimal production for several years as the team's third wide receiver behind the likes of Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. After a career-high 35 catches in 2018, Treadwell was cut at the end of training camp this past summer but was re-signed by the Vikings after injuries sort of hit them early in the season and finished 2019 with nine catches and a touchdown in 13 games before becoming a free agent this past spring. The soon-to-be 25-year-old wide receiver could potentially push for a reserve spot here in Atlanta. McCray was traded from the Packers to the Browns at the end of last summer's training camp. The versatile 27-year-old was originally an undrafted free agent in 2014, but was eventually able to work his way and land a spot on the Packers roster in 2017. Over the past two seasons in both Green Bay and Cleveland, he's made starts at multiple positions during the regular season, playing four out of the five offensive line spots at both guard and tackle positions, as well as taking some preseason snaps at the center position, making him capable of playing all five spots on the offensive line. He'll certainly add some depth to the Falcons offensive line room. The team also re-signed cornerback Bleedy Ray Wilson on Sunday. Wilson was the Falcons second highest graded cornerback in 2019, according to pro football focus after Desmond Trufant, who was released by the team last week, the 30 year old, Wilson has spent the past four seasons as a reserve for the Falcons and has been a serviceable fill-in starter for the Falcons whenever injuries has hit at the quarterback position in that span, including over the final month of this past season with an injured Trufant out of the lineup. According to Pro Football Focus, over the final three games, Bleedy Ray Wilson was charted with allowing a completion rate of just 29% and broke up six passes in that span. We'll see if the Falcons use the cap space that they have to continue to shore up depth and bring back some other free agents in the coming days and weeks. So there's your Lockdown Falcons lead story, guys. We'll continue to talk about some of these recent additions coming up and seeing what exactly the Falcons or plans are. We'll talk a little bit about Sherrod Neesman as well. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I know the NBA is on hiatus, but that doesn't mean that you can still support your favorite team's daily Lockdown Podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. You can find your favorite daily NBA podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you're listening to me right now. So, you know, basically the Falcons showcase this weekend. Once again, the point I've made several times, the salary cap is a speed bump. Uh, maybe we also got some word that the on why the Falcons cut Desmond Trufant based off of a tweet 
I saw from D led at the AJC. It sounds like Trufant was not as willing to take a pay cut or rework his contract. So I guess that's that still doesn't make the decision to make him a post June one cap cut any less baffling in my eyes, but at me at least it suggests that that's why he was cut. Uh, as for Bailey, we wondered if Bailey would be back. We don't know quite what the price tag is of his potential return. My guess is that they probably cut his, I hope they would cut his cap hit in half at least and potentially saved at least $3 million uh, in some form or fashion. Um, we talked a little bit after the season that the Falcons have been very public in their praising of both Bailey and Tyler Davison. So it's not a surprise that both of those guys will return in 2020. And it, we suggested that it might signal that the team isn't necessarily as, as seeing the D line as, as problematic as maybe I think a lot of us assumed they would at the end of this past season. And now you're kind of looking at a roster that if you want to throw Steven means and Bailey into the mix. Now you're looking at potentially eight out of the nine potential spots on the defensive line that you're going to carry on your roster this year already filled. So, you know, at this point in time, I'm not necessarily that convinced that the Falcons are going to enter the draft and look at D tackle and edge as a clear need. Maybe it's a want, but maybe it's not a need. And so we'll just sort of see how that develops. Let's talk a little bit about Sherrod Neesman. If you've listened to this podcast regularly over the last couple of seasons, you know I'm a big Sherrod Neesman stan. I won't spend a ton of time talking about it today. Um, but, I, you know, I just wonder if they're going to do him dirty in 2020 like they did in 2019, if you ask me. Are they going to let him play strong safety? Is he going to compete with Jamal Carter to be Keanu Neal's backup? Or is he going to be stuck fighting it over with uh, Chris Cooper for the backup free safety spot this summer? I don't know. I, I really don't know what any of the team's plans are in the secondary. It, uh, you know, it, it's frustrating me to no end, but I'm, I'm willing to be patient. But it is one of those things where, I, like, I don't know what the plan is with Neesman. I don't know what the pl- is, is. Do they feel like Jamal Carter is an adequate backup for Keanu Neal and therefore don't see strong safety as a need? Um, are they going to have Chris Cooper duking it out to be the nickel cornerback? Is DeMonte Casey going to compete there or is he going to be stuck being a backup free safety? I don't know the answers to any of these questions. I wish I did, but I don't. And so we just have to, is, is Kendall Sheffield going to play on the outside? He's going to play inside. I don't know any of these answers. And so it, it, it leaves the secondary as a massive, massive hole in my eyes with a lot of question marks because you just don't know how this team perceives current players on the roster at this point in time. So uh, I wish we had answers to that, but you know maybe we'll get those at some point between now and the draft, or we just have to wait till Thursday night, and, th- and then they'll tell us what they think about their roster. Uh, speaking of the secondary, let's talk about Bleedy Ray Wilson. Not a surprise that he's coming back. He was one of the guys I think a lot of us expected to come back. Like I said earlier, he played well down the stretch. His game against San Francisco was his best game. He's been a capable fill-in starter for the Falcons, as I said, the last couple of years. Uh, I think ideally, though, I think Bleedy Ray Wilson is a CB5 He's the fifth corner on your depth chart is a capable fourth corner on your depth chart. But the fact to me that he was the second best corner on the team last year, I personally think speaks to the performance of guys like Oliver and Sheffield, but I'm not going to beat that dead horse today. So I'll let that go. Let's talk about Justin McCray. I think he's had a very interesting career path. So I'll share that with you. He was originally an undrafted free agent with the Titans in 2014, spent some time on the Titans practice squad, then sort of got bounced out of the league after a year or two, went to the Arena League, then sort of went to, you know, he played at UCF um, with his twin brother, Jordan. Um, and I think his older brother, Cliff, also was on the team. So there was like a game 
when while they were all there that they all wound up playing in the game which I think was like the first time in NCAA history where three brothers, you know, played in a game at the same time or something like that. But, you know, he, he basically, he, after he left the arena league, he went to UCF's pro day in 2017 to try to get another shot back in the league, impress the Packers scouts that were there. They signed him to a contract. He was able to earn a spot on their roster. Some of you guys may remember Justin McCray because that Sunday night game in week two against the Packers in 2017, he started that game at right tackle. And you may recall that the Packers offensive line was very beat up in that game. Falcons took advantage of that um, being the case. And I remember because like Justin McCray wound up starting for Brian Balog at right tackle that game. And I remember when they were do- introducing the starting lineups for that game as they do on Sunday Night Football. And Justin McCray was up there. I was like, who the heck is Justin McCray? That was literally the first time I ever heard of him. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, two and a half years later, he's, he's a Falcon. And so I think my guess is that that performance, and then I think he started against the Falcons the following year at right guard. Probably the Falcons were like, "Hey, this guy's now started two different positions at the at um, for the Packers against us," and maybe the Falcons were impressed by his performances in those games. I, I don't necessarily know why they would be uh, w- watching his film, but um, you know, I think the fact that he's played played that positional versatility. Uh, having played four different spots in regular season games, spent the bulk of the 2017 and 2019 preseasons with the Packers playing the center position as well. I kind of like McCray more as a center than I do as a guard or a tackle, just because I think at center, it kind of hides his limitations a little bit more. He's not a great player. He he tends to struggle with technique and footwork and balance and, and all those various things. And those issues tend to get exposed depending on the position he's playing at guard where, you know, he can get overpowered a little bit, deal struggle with some of the quicker D tackles that can sort of use their hands and work around them. Um, and then that tackle, you know, the fact that he's just not in a great, he's like six, three, two, three, 17. It's not really built to be a tackle, um, tends to get exposed. And I think center is kind of his best position based off of the film. I watched from this past year, as well as some of the preseason stuff that he did. Um, but I think he's a, a valuable piece that can sort of compete for a roster spot. You know, I think he's a guy that adds another body for depth can compete in the, in camp with the likes of guys like Sean Harlow and, and John Wetzel potentially, uh, win that ninth, uh, man roster spot. Um, because of that versatility, I think he gives you a valuable insurance policy. If the Falcons aren't able to sort of land an interior offensive lineman early in the draft or really at all, uh, then you at least have somebody on the team that is a capable backup center that can go and get those reps, uh, besides Sean Harlow right now on the team. So, uh, uh, for those of you that can recall this move, it's it's similar to the Adam Geddes move that the Falcons made last year. But I think, you know, McCray potentially offers a little bit more to the table just because he has a little bit more positional versatility than Pettis did. So we will come back and wrap up today's podcast by talking about the reclamation project known as Laquan Treadwell uh, and sort of the oddity of that decision to get into the reclamation project business coming up on today's locked on falcons podcast but i do want to let you guys know that i'm always looking for your feedback on all these things that i say on this podcast and of course you can provide that on a number of platforms that i'm on twitter at locked on falcons facebook at locked on falcons or via the email address at locked on falcons at mail.com so i welcome your feedbacks please send me any questions comments that you have 
So the Treadwell signing to me is the weirdest of all the moves that they made over the weekend. And really the kind of the weirdest of the move, all the moves that the Falcons have made this entire off season. Just uh, hard to wrap my head around largely because the Falcons don't usually get into reclamation projects. You know, they kind of did that last summer with Stefan Anthony. They brought in Anthony during the early days of training camp last year because of, there was an injury to JJ Wilcox, which then forced Kamal Ishmael to move from linebacker to safety. And that opened up a spot at linebacker. And then so they kicked the tires for Stefan Anthony for about three weeks. And it's a similar sort of situation, but like there's not a clear cut need. Now, some people say, well, we need to replace Justin Hardy. And it's like, yeah, okay. I, I get that. But why choose Laquan Treadwell? Like you know, and I've seen other people say like, oh, he's a low risk, high reward type of guy. Low risk is true. High reward. Like, what are exactly are you expecting out of Laquan Treadwell this year? You know, are you are you expecting the Falcons to be able to get him to live up, finally live up to his first round billing now? A feat that the Vikings couldn't peel off. You know, again, the Vikings are a coaching staff that was able to turn a fifth round pick in Stephon Deggs into one of the league's best receivers. They were able to take an undrafted free agent in Adam Thielen and turn him into a two time pro bowler. Now, I know some people are like, well, you know, Matt Ryan, he's got Matt Ryan here. He's going to elevate his receivers. And it's like, yeah, if the receiver has something to bring to the table that can be elevated, Matt Ryan can do that. But Treadwell's issues are that he struggles to separate from coverage and can't win at the catch point. How is Matt Ryan going to help him in that regard? You know, and, and that's the thing about being a wide receiver. You don't need to be a great separator uh, to be in a, a successful NFL wide receiver. You just ask Muhammad Sanu. But you got to be able to win at the catch point. And the problem with Treadwell, he's extremely, he routinely struggled uh, in Minnesota doing that. Like, you know, that was something that Treadwell was known for in college. And one of the reasons why people were so high on him, including myself, I was a Laquan Treadwell fan when he was coming out of college. Uh, but he just hasn't done that well in the pros. Anytime there's a contested throw, the defender is going to win the majority of the time. So I don't really see what Matt Ryan is going to be elevated. Now, I say all that. I don't hate this move. It's just weird to me. That's all I'm saying. It's an unorthodox flyer that the Falcons seem to be taking on this reclamation project called Laquan Treadwell. To me, what Treadwell is, is is a camp body at this point, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just weird to me that the Falcons are signing a camp body this early in the offseason. And the reason why I think he's a camp body is when you look at the Falcons roster, the way that they typically construct a roster, the all the wide receivers that aren't one of the top three guys wind up playing special teams. That's why Russell Gage was basically pulled off of special teams after the Sanu trade because he became the number three wide receiver. And after being a staple on the special teams unit prior to that point, once he became the number three receiver, he doesn't play special teams anymore. But if you're the fourth, fifth, or sixth wide receiver, you got to play special teams. And Treadwell doesn't play special teams. Um, or at least he doesn't play the special teams that matters. And I know maybe Keith Armstrong and Ben Katakwa would disagree with this point I'm about to make, but the only special teams that really matter is if you're actual kickoff returner or punt returner, or you're actually covering kickoffs and punts. I know there's a kickoff return team and punt return team, punt block team and field goal team. And so other people play special teams that aren't considered to be like special teams guys, but like Treadwell's not covering kicks. Didn't do that at really at all in four years in Minnesota. So unless the Falcons are confident that they're going to be able to turn him into a guy that can do that now in year five, his roster, his ability to win a roster spot, I think hinges on him being one of the top three wide receivers, because again, you're not going to fall back on him not being able to play special teams. You just like, you can't afford, like there's only like 12 or 13 guys on offense are, are basically able to get away with not playing special teams. It's, 10 out of the 11 starters, not including the fullback who has to, who does play special teams, the backup quarterback, the third wide receiver, and the number two running back. 
So like those in, in, I guess the two backup offensive lines. So 15. So those guys don't have to play special teams or at least they don't have to cover kicks really, but everybody else that's going to be on the team has to do that or they're not going to be active on Sunday is, is basically what I'm getting to. So it's one of those things where it's a weird choice to me because of that. So basically, you know, Laquan Treadwell is, if he's going to make the team, he's going to have to surpass Russell Gage to be the number three wide receiver, which is not like impossible, but based off of his body of work, there's no reason to be, think that he's going to do that because simply at this point in time, based off of what they've put on film over the last couple of years, Treadwell in Minnesota and engage here in Atlanta, Gage is the better player. Now, I'm not adverse to the idea of Treadwell, at least on in theory, the uh, in paper, because I've mentioned previously on this podcast that I think eventually you want to move Julio into the slot. And so the idea is if Treadwell is going to be your number three wide receiver, that would work if you're going to put Julio Jones in the slot and spend the bulk of the season playing the slot. And I've talked again about sort of how I think at some point, while as Julio is entering the twilight of his career, he's going to wind up being more effective as a slot receiver than he is as an outside receiver. And so if you want to get the ball rolling in 2020 for that eventuality, I get that. And so the idea is behind that is then you add a capable X wide receiver that can justify that move that can sort of do some of the Julio Jones stuff on the outside that then Julio can live in the slot. And then you have Ridley on the opposite side. And in theory, Treadwell can do that type of stuff, but I feel like you can get that guy on day three of this year's draft because of how deep this draft class, you can get someone like a Michael Pittman, Pittman Jr. From USC, a Chase Claypool from Notre Dame and Antonio Gandy golden from Liberty, Colin Johnson from Texas, Austin Mack from Ohio state. I think those guys could potentially do that for you in this offense. And so maybe Treadwell gives you an option just in case you don't get that guy in the draft. But that's why it's weird to me because it's like then that's the type of signing that you would do after the draft if you don't get your guy. Like, I don't know if you would do that before the draft. So I'm not down on this move. I don't think it's a bad move. It's just weird that the Falcons decided to get in the reclamation project business. And it's weird to me that they chose Laquan Treadwell to sort of be their first big foray into this. Like if we were the Seattle Seahawks who often are going after reclamation projects, basically if you're a top 10 pick at any point, a a quote unquote failed top 10 pick, you're going to play for the Seattle Seahawks at some or a failed first round pick. You're going to play for the Seattle Seahawks at some point in time in your future. Uh, You know, that's basically what they do a lot and they kick the tires on those guys. And some of those guys are successful and some of those guys are not. Um, but it's just one of those things where like the Falcons haven't normally done that. Like someone, you know, I mentioned Stefan Anthony, someone said, Oh, we did this with Gabe Karimi. You know? Yeah, that was in 2014. But the reason why we did that with Gabe Karimi was because we had his old position coach here in Atlanta and in Mike Tice. And, you know, once upon a time, Gabe Karimi was a good player until he got hurt. Uh, and so Mike Tice was like, it wasn't like a true, like, let's just take a flyer on a guy as a reclamation project it was like, this is a guy that I, I spent three years coaching or two years coaching. And I feel like we can get something out of him here in Atlanta as a depth guy. So th- that to me is, a, was a little bit different. It's just kind of like out of the blue for the Falcons to go out and get Laquan Treadwell. It's like, have you secretly been coveting Laquan Treadwell these last couple of years when the Vikings were shopping him last summer? Were you on the phones talking 
to the Vikings about trading for Laquan. I, I don't know. It's just, again, it's weird. I'm not saying it's a bad move because, again, there's too much conversation, too much discourse, too much debate and discussion and arguing online right now between Falcon fans and, and whatnot about positivity versus negativity. And, and some people want to drag me into that. And I'm just like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't care if you're positive. I don't care if you're negative. I don't care if you're critical. I just want to talk football with folks. I, I just want to have honest conversations about football at this point in time of the year, because nothing else is going on. We're under quarantine, all this various other stuff. So I just want to talk football. And to me, this is just a weird move. So not saying it's a bad move. I, you know, again, I, some people are like, well, this is a bad move. They wasted money. Like, they, no, they didn't. Again, my assumption is, with both McRae and Treadwell, they signed cheap one-year contracts for close to, if not the veteran minimum type of deals. So these are not really spending really any, they're not really taking much of any cap space away from you, um, you know, because they're going to just be slotted in at the bottom of the roster from a cap standpoint. So it's not really wasting money. It's just, it's just weird that the Falcons are like, hey, we're going to get in a reclamation project and our first project is going to be Laquan Treadwell. It's like, mm-hmm, okay, that's weird. Um, so that's all I'm saying. So we'll, we'll see if, if Treadwell proves me wrong and winds up being more than a camp body and, and winds up looking really good this summer. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. And, and tomorrow guys, we will get uh, some outside perspectives on uh, Dante Fowler and uh, Todd Gurley, the two newest, two of the newest Falcon players on tomorrow's podcast. So you definitely want to stay tuned to that. That's basically it for today. Just wanted to catch you guys up on the weekend news, give you my thoughts on that. Uh, we'll sort of see, you know, we might have more to say about this over the next couple of days. Once we get start to get the terms of some of these contracts, the Falcons have signed, you know, once we get a little bit more specifics on sort of, you know, how the Falcons rework some of these deals or whatnot. So probably we'll have more to say on this stuff that we talked about briefly today uh later in the week when we get a few more details but uh there you guys have it again provide your feedback at the various platforms locked on falcons on twitter locked on falcons on facebook and of course locked on falcons at mail.com via email and that's where you can submit questions some of you have already submitted questions we will get to those as well later this week i don't know specifically what day probably thursday seems pretty plausible uh at this point in time um for me to answer those questions. So if you guys have those questions, go ahead, send them in so that you can get them ready to go for a Thursday or possibly Friday's episode. I don't know. Uh, we're all under quarantine. I'm, I'm, I'm playing it day by day when it comes to this podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, guys stay safe out there until then. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the locked on podcast network, your team, Every day.